I, I watch some of the elite athletes on, on Instagram and they're doing double leg hops. It's very fast to tell, like some have great wheels when they're doing that double leg hop. And then they go to run, they don't have wheels anymore. So once again, you know how to do this, but your training is jacking you up because your training takes you out of your wheels. That's what's amazing. And that's a great assessment. Like, okay, so, so I, got, I see you, 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 single leg hop, you have wheels. Double leg hops, you have wheels. Going upstairs, you have wheels. Coming downstairs, you have wheels. And then you go to run, you don't have the wheels anymore. So where do we lose <laughs> the translation of the wheels at? That was Adarian Barr, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Lost Empire Herbs. You can get 15% off my favorite herbs for well-being and athletic performance by heading to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly. About three years ago, I got into herbalism after having Logan Christopher on the podcast, starting with the Phoenix formula, which literally had my body buzzing after I took it. Not in a jittery way, like coffee, but in a way where I really felt the herbs working with my body. Within two weeks, I was already noticeably stronger in the weight room. And ever since, I've made herbalism a regular part of my training regimen. I've totally ditched any sort of caffeine-laden pre-workout, and I really enjoy using supplements that come directly from the earth. Lost Empire Herbs was started by Logan Christopher and his two brothers to help bring back the lost empire of nature in our connection to it, and to bring the power of herbs to the general public. Again, if you want to see my favorite herbs, such as Shilijit, which has been mentioned by other podcast guests on this show, Phoenix Formula, and more, as well as get 15% off your purchase alongside a 365-day money-back guarantee, head to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly. Welcome to another episode, and thanks for being here. One piece of human movement that I haven't made a huge amount of time for or made a theme on this show yet is getting into the rotational, or more specifically, the tumbling actions of joints. Uh, you could also talk rotation in terms of the, the transverse plane or that spinning on a top plane and all the cable movements in the weight room we can do to, to work that. For this show, we're going to be digging into the tumbling force that happens in so many human movements and that really defines our ability to move with speed. For tumbling, think of something as simple as the shin dropping forward in a sprint or if I held a PVC pipe or dowel rod uh, perpendicular to the ground and let it drop forward to the ground. That's the kind of tumbling motion that we're talking about. If it comes to moving with force, a simple uh, up and down or seesaw lever like a calf raise, we can lift a lot of weight. But that doesn't directly equate to moving fast. And when it comes to all things fast, I'm really excited to have back on the show coach and inventor Adarian Barr. Adarian has spent decades coaching in the college and private sector and currently consults with a variety of coaches in multiple sports, not just track and field. Adarian has been a guest on this podcast many times, and he has a unique, connected, and incredibly detailed perspective on the main drivers of human movement. He has changed uh, my perspective on human movement and influenced me tremendously. So on the show today, Adarian is going to be talking about rotational human movement. So that, again, more so that tumbling, pitching aspect of like a, a stick falling over, more so than what we often think, like getting in the transverse plane and moving like that top spinning cable type motion in the weight room. So we're, he's going to be talking about it more from that tumbling perspective and that speed-based tumbling perspective. And Adarian will speak on what that perspective means for how we coach movement. How do we coach sprinting or jumping or throwing? How do we address sprint drills? 
looking at things from a perpendicular versus a rotational perspective is a very valuable viewpoint for any coach. So Adarian will get into this. He'll do a rehash on levers, the class one, two, and three lever, and how the human body uses levers for the job that they need to be and how that can be optimized by understanding levers and how they work. Adarian will also talk about movement from the idea of a wheel. And if we look at rotation and tumbling forces, a wheel makes good sense. So he'll be talking about big wheels, small wheels, how not to make a wheel a square action by coaching things that probably shouldn't be coached, and how to optimize our constraints and how we, the situations we put the body in so we can make those wheels work better. And also talking about how different sporting skills will rely on different adaptations or transitions of those wheel systems. It can be complicated to talk about this on some level, but once you get it, once you understand it, this is a really critical idea, just ideology for any coach, any practitioner of, of, of human movement instruction to understand. Adarian can get into these concepts with such nuance and detail, and it really changes your perspective. I really enjoy having him on the show, and I'm excited to get this episode to y'all. Let's get on to it, episode 290. Adarian, welcome back to the show. It's been a little while. I'm excited to have you here. Oh, it's been a long time, man. Appreciate being back. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah, I have a lot of things to ask you, some, some new things from the time that you've last been on. And one thing, actually, you were just mentioning it, and I find it really interesting, but the idea of levers. So maybe let's start with this, is a lever-based approach versus a force, I guess. Uh, I mean, there's always forces and levers, right? But like emphasizing one or the other, levers or forces, uh, any take on, on like what happens when we really pick one or the other there? Yeah, the, the difference is, you know, like a lot of times it, it's dealing with linear versus rotational, you know, and torque is always going to be a rotational issue. Uh, linear is not going to be a rotational issue, and that, that becomes a thing uh, just about, you know, movement. And if we are moving, rotation is what we're doing. There, there's no way to move without a rotational component being added in there, you know, because, it's, you know, levers is, is kind of simple where I have a lever arm and I have a focal point. It's very, very simple stuff. And so if, if I bring my hand up to my face, the hand is rotating around the elbow. You can't get away from it. That's a lever. You cannot. If I move my shoulder, rotate, you, you can't get away. If I turn my head left, right, you just cannot get away from it. If you chew food, you cannot get away from it. So everything we do is really rotational. But the math is hard. So if you try to do math with torque, you got you to mm-hmm. bring in some other math. It gets tough. And that's the problem. Nobody wants to do the tough math. But the other problem is, Nobody never said to do the math in the first place. Let the scientists do the math. Yeah, I think when, when we think of rotation and movement, a lot of times it, it is funny how I think so much of how we brand movement comes out of the weight room and very simple or reductionist positions in the weight room. Even when we think rotation, like when you say rotation, the first thing that comes to my mind is like transverse plane, like I'm doing cable work in the weight room, I'm rotating. <laughs> but you know, in, 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 I mean, and yes, that does. Ha- yes, we do rotate in the transverse plane. But you're talking about sagittal plane front to back rotation, like a bicycle wheel spinning. And that doesn't get talked about very often. Like that whole idea is really left out. It's anything yeah. but that so often when we're actually talking about how we move and then the ideas that we put in athletes' head, I guess you could call them cues or, or whatever, but the ideology that's conveyed to an athlete on how to move better is almost never in rotational terms. Right. And even like, you know, when you talk about sagittal, you know, front on transverse plane, that is a location. See, it's just a location. I'm moving at a location. 
when you add in, that's what, you know, like I've been telling people, the better term is, is pitch, yaw, and roll, because those are all rotational issues. So if I'm going to pitch, you know, if your torso leans forward or backwards, it's pitching. That's as easy as it gets. It's pitching. If your head turns left or right, that's yaw. It's a twist. Easy as it gets. If your arms move up like in jumping jacks, that's a roll. It's easy as it gets. But the difference is I can do all three of those at the same time. So when we talk about 3D movement, that is the 3D movement. Then I don't have to worry about gaining strength in the sagittal plane, gaining strength in the frontal plane, gaining strength over here. I just can't go back to moving. <laughs> I just, you just go back to moving again. But those are all three rotational aspects, you know, like I said, you know, some people call it Y axis, Z axis, and all this other kind of stuff, but it's much easier to say, hey, pitch, yaw, roll, keep it moving. As easy to describe it, you know, same thing. If you're squatting, if you're going to squat down, the tibia will pitch one way, the thigh will pitch another way, and your torso is going to pitch another way. Three pitches at one time. If you stand up, they're going to pitch again to stand you up. That's too easy. When I think about, like, even the way that we tend to coach things and do things, looking at acceleration from the front uh, or the rear view, but I, the front's a great place to look at it. The easiest place to see, I guess you could call the effects of, of overcoaching, overemphasizing sagittal movement. I mean, I don't think it's, it's fine to squat. For sure, I have it in my programming. But when you start running like you squat or accelerating like you squat, and there's very little twisting happening, I, I mean, watching the best accelerators in the world, especially the Jamaicans from that front view, I mean, they're twisting, yeah. like they are twisting in all planes. And yeah, you yeah. watch that, and that's what you said. If you're gonna, if you're going to be just purely in that force, that sagittal linear force route, well, you better be really strong in that motion because that's your <laughs> right. only weapon. You don't you can't twist and use levers in a rotational circular manner. So you only have one weapon, one paradigm. Um, so I, I maybe I'll put in the show notes too, just a linear start right. versus that start that's so rotational. I think that's an easy way to to look at it. Well, you just summed it up, and that's that's why I said that the arguments need to stop. You just summed it up. If you move in a stricter linear fashion, you have, you better be strong as shit. <laughs> but if you move in a rotational fashion, you don't have to be anymore. So so yeah, if you strictly want to move in a linear fashion, lift all those weights you want to lift because you already have to be strong. But if you move rotational, because the whole thing about levers is this here: levers multiply whatever you put into them. So if you put one pound into a lever, you get 10 pounds out. That's too easy. Or you may have a lever like a class three lever, which multiplies speed. Oh, so if the initial speed is higher, it's going to multiply that. That's too easy again. So then the concentration becomes, let me make the initial speed higher because it's going to multiply it automatically. Or you can move linear and get strong as possible. Cross your fingers, hope it works out. Yeah, that linear thing too. I mean, it's interesting because I think People can get results on that, but there's a lot more intensity that goes into that road. <laughs> and I yeah. feel like for the sake of long-term results, where if we just keep hammering intensity, intensity, and that's our main weapon, I mean, I, I like getting intense in training. But at the end of the day, uh, Jeff Moyers talked about this, likely on the podcast, but especially in articles he's written for Just Fly Sports. But the idea that once you go high intensity, you can't, it's hard to go back and you have to keep feeding that master. And the body doesn't respond well to requiring very high intensity month after month after month, year after year after year. Again, not that sprinting isn't fundamentally intense on the spectrum of things, but if you can do it using levers better, it's, I feel like there's less cost there. Like it's easier. It's just, there's an ease to it, a relative ease to it compared to 
I guess, yeah, that more manufactured everything perpendicular perspective, because that is the true epitome of the the force, <laughs> the force perspective, not the forces. I, I like force, but yes, it, right, know, right. And torque is a force. It's just rotational force versus the word force is linear, you know, but like I said, if you do the math, there's more math to rotational <laughs> than yeah. it is to linear because F equals N time A doesn't work when you go to rotational. You have to put some other stuff in there. Yeah. And I, I mean, my, that math is, I mean, it's definitely beyond my capability to do that, you know, that, that torque based rotational based, I think, I mean, it's impractical almost for any coach to actually sit down and, and write all that, those systems out. Right. And it's, I think that might make the re even the research on that more, a little more challenging. And I think that it's very easy. One of the things that I've been looking at, at least uh, this to check my own biases too, is the idea of scientific reductionism, like really reducing things actually to a fault a point of a fault but you know it's easy to talk about this uh, i'd like to get into a few examples one you had mentioned before we even started talking was the idea of just doing po like in place pogos and i mean clearly a movement that certainly can have benefit from just a general short uh, stretch shortening perspective like probably does a lot of things well generally but what's the drawbacks of just doing things like that like a pogo hop from just a very perpendicular perspective, well, you're just going well, up and down. Once, once again, you, you, like you said, you said it best. So the thing about it is, if you do a pogo, which is pretty much trying to do a straight leg, you know, it's perpendicular. And levers don't work well with just perpendicular input. And you talk about stress shortening, what have you stretched? Because nothing's moved at that perpendicular plane. See what I'm saying? What's stretched? What's shortened? And then you're in the perpendicular plane. So, so if you're going straight up and down, when did the muscle have the time to stretch or shorten? But now watch this. If you put pitch in there, guess what? Something just stretched. See what I'm saying? Pitch. If you go rotational, anytime you rotate, something will always stretch. And you go, I shorten something. If you go perpendicular, nothing stretches. Nothing. Are you talking it's an amazing about, thing. Are you talking about like pitch? You're saying like leaning, like something as simple as like leaning forward in the movement? No, I'm just talking about something as simple as just a direction, like you're talking about pitch, yarn, roll. If you rotate, so, so if I'm going to rotate, with it, if I'm going to rotate forward, and so for me to rotate forward, what ha what's going to happen at this point in time? Huh, my tibia is going to go forward or start moving forward, which is start a rotation. When that starts to rotate, something's going to get stretched. So now I can shorten something. If I go straight up and down pogo, what got stretched to be shortened? Yeah, that makes sense to me. So from a very, I guess, a simple perspective, I mean, a pogo, I mean, things are going to get stretched, but not a lot. That's probably part of the reason you can't jump that high doing pogos unless you're insanely, <laughs> unless you're insanely reactive, which you could make the, the argument, yes, you're building that little quick stretch shortening ability. However, I, I'd say that, that example intrigued me because we've had this discussion on this podcast before about plyometrics in general, even just like hurdle hops and depth jumps and things that are very more perpendicular in nature than they are rotational. I mean, in a depth jump or a hurdle hop, you, you do have forward momentum too. You have a little more rotation to it for sure. But compared to what actually happens, that doesn't, or those motions, like a hurdle hop motion doesn't happen in like basketball or volleyball. You will, you will not see that. It might represent like a very momentary angle potentially than in the jump setup, but nothing else, like not the, the setup, certainly not <laughs> the way that right. you go into it. Right, right. And that becomes a thing. So as you as you move about, like I said, everything's going to rotate. It's so much easier if everything just we just work with the rotational aspect of it instead of a linear aspect of it or a perpendicular aspect of it. And, and a lot of times we like to conflict things, contrast things, abut things. But think about it this way: I do need perpendicular. I do need it, you know, because 
if you put a wrench on a bolt, the perpendicular movement secures the wrench to the bolt. Now I can use the parallel movement to move it. See what I'm saying? They do work together, but we like to go one against the other all the time. Instead of worrying about how do these two pairs work together? So if I do perpendicular, that is a good setup now to do the parallel, to put the rotation in, Mm. which makes the lever work now. But just perpendicular, you haven't used the lever. Could you make the case that then the perpendicular, the goal is to really, of that, is to build the ISO quality, that like isometric, co-contraction, whatever words you want to use, that ability of the joints, the, the muscles that need to, to ISO, and then you're bringing in on top of that to, to optimize it, to actually make it more like athletic movement. Now you're putting the stretch shortening comes with the rotational qualities. Would yeah. that be a good way to put it? Like that, that perpendicular right. is the ISO and then the everything else is rotational stretch shortening type stuff. Right, right, right. That's, that's easy way to say it. Yeah. You know, and, and so that becomes the thing is, yeah, just like, you know, like let's, we, let's talk about one of the five qualities, you know, and one of them is hamstrings, you know, one of the five things we were talking about earlier, hamstrings, one of them. Now, Things that we know, but we don't apply. When is the muscle going to be at its optimum point to be used? You know, and let's take the hamstring. It is at its optimum point to be used when it's at its longest point, when it's at its shortest point. Same with the bicep. When, you know, and so now if you take the hamstring and you shorten it, you got these muscles that's running from the hip to right below the kneecap, right? Now, if at that point in time, when your foot is underneath your butt and the hamstring's at the shortest point, if you go ahead and fire it then, it's going to whip your leg around so fast, you never know what happened. But what are people talking about? Using the hamstring to do what? Slow down the quad. Why would I want to take a fast muscle to use it as a decelerator? Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Why would I want to, especially talking about rotation, because you got to remember, things are rotating. So why would I want to take a, a fast muscle and try to use it to slow down something that is rotating in the opposite direction at a high speed already? It doesn't work very well. Hmm. Wouldn't you say the hamstrings, I mean, as that shin in running is that swing shin is snapping forward as part of a circular motion. So, I mean, I, I would always, I would have always thought the hamstring, it's, it's con- dynamically controlling that um, shin coming down to the ground are you are you saying something different than that in the sense of when that leg is folded at its tightest position up top I, sorry i was just getting a little bit confused by what you were meaning there with the roll of the hamstring in the short that short fully folded versus a uh, longer position yeah because once again like i said once again if you think levers it's a simple process you know because then at this point in time where is the focal point at, at the hip See what I'm saying? I got this lever. And so it's attached to the front of the knee. So at this point in time, if that hamstring fires, it wants to rotate the leg now around itself, which is going to be fast. If it's long and you pull it back, it's going to be slow. I got you. Because you're trying to get, you're trying to get to work from its longest point. And we know what the longest point is going to be the slowest point to get that thing to work. Yeah. I mean, it strikes me that... Just from my knowledge of EMG, I don't want to go too far into this one because I have a lot of other questions. I actually had an interesting <laughs> thought on the, like the ice, the role of the ISO, and then the the perpendicular stuff that we would do. But it makes me think about the EMG studies. 
have shown that the hamstrings are actually not that active on the ground in that long position. Like this more the glutes at that point. And so to think that the hamstrings, but that's like their longest, one of their longer, longest positions is that sprint stride <laughs> on the ground. So if they're not that active, what are they doing? Like it, that based off what you're saying, is it really their job to be long and to really like, you know, activate hard to get that? I feel like that's just the results of largely that that leg coming back is largely the result of the wheel action and, and the rotational forces and the skeleton and the connective tissues of the body as much as or more based off the EMG as the hamstring, like yanking the, the foot back, I guess, at that point in time. I'm not sure if that makes sense, but that's at least the way I, I took what you said. Yeah, but, but, but once again. But and this can this can go into some other things, some of the other questions you asked. But this becomes the other part, you know. Yes, it's 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 just roll the wheel fast, and you get to roll the wheel. When if I'm gonna spin this wheel, where am I gonna spin it from? Catch it the highest point, spin it. The faster go, the higher I catch it to spin it. More when people are talking about is catching wheel at the lowest point and trying to spin it from the lowest point doesn't work very well. Blood work is a common analysis in the regime of elite athletes. It quantifies many dimensions and metrics of an athlete's physiology and helps one to see windows of potential performance improvement. Today's episode is also sponsored by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. The company uses a blood test and patented algorithm to analyze your body's physiological markers, providing you with a clear picture of what's going on inside of you. Inside Tracker then offers science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. In using Inside Tracker myself, it was truly fascinating to see the many metrics of my own physiology, looking at things like hormone levels, inflammation, blood oxygen-related metrics, and much more. If you are interested in an Inside Tracker analysis, for a limited time you can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. And to get that discount, head to insidetracker.com/justflysports. I see. I see what you mean. Okay. Yes. Let's come back to that. I because that. I mean that. Like folding up that. Uh, like essential quality. I. I understand that. I think that'll be a really important thing to chat about. I did want to, this is in my head, so I want to cover this because I think this fits with some other things that I've been talking about on the podcast lately, and it really fits with that wrench example, and Randy Huntington, and maybe it's been discussed other times on this show, but like the idea of. Doing high hurdle hops can be detrimental to an athlete, especially from a reactive perspective. And well, when we do high hurdle hops, what are we doing? We're, we're, it's more perpendicular than anything else. And right. if it's the ISO we're after, well, that's an awful long ISO in that perspective. You know, it's like if you are going to pogo, <laughs> well, it should be really well, wait, fast, right? Joe, it should be, it should reflect Joe, that. Yeah. Joe, this is the problem. This is the problem right now. So you're thinking logical. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the time, if we start thinking logical, we can eliminate half the shit we're doing in the first place. But like you said, well, that's a long ISO. Why would I long, long, want a long ISO if I'm trying to train the ISO? So that exercise, done with that exercise. Done. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like that too because it, it fits with it fits with a lot of other information that's been on this show. But it also it's this that's a really simple concept is just if you're gonna go perpendicular, it should be really fast. And that's what uh, Randy was saying. He was talking about Rolf Ullman does that that same idea if we are going to be doing vertical plyos let's make it fast and yeah. it's like yes there are going to be athletic movements that are longer but if we can think of it it's yes this is perpendicular this is the long arm of the wrench this just needs to fire for this brief moment in time that's its job why are we trying to make a wrench something else you know like let's just leave it as a wrench so <laughs> yeah, we can you need, put some rotation yeah, you need on another it tool. Yeah, you need another. but the whole thing about it is this here that's the beauty of this we only got three levers to deal with one two and three Right. 
That's, that's the beauty of it. You, you, ain't, you ain't got three of these things to deal with. So 99% of the body is class three, which means we're made for speed. It's a speed multiplier issue, you know? And then you got a class one, and then you got a class two. The head, class one, ankle, class one. But what are we doing? That's a little, that's, you know, that's a more power strength and everything like that. Then you go class two. We, we're going to combine these two together again. But it, it's one of those things where, you know, once again, I only got three options. But we didn't, type, we didn't try to take the three options and make it 50 options. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, I only got three. Let's move on. <laughs> For sure. You know, I, I, I don't know if I want to ask this. I guess maybe just thoughts on, because actually, by the train of logic, this might not be a great question. Because my, in my mind, before you talked about the wrench, I was like, well, how would you take a pogo and make it better then? But to <laughs> better, what's better, right? I, I, in just asking that, I think, well, if you're going to do a pogo, just have it do its job really well, which is just a quick ISO. And then if you're going to do something else, just do something else. Like, <laughs> that's at least what I would take it. I mean, is there any way to, if I'm tr- fundamentally training rotation in a plyometric sense, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess all like just doing the thing is, is rotational. Just doing your sport, doing your jump, doing your throw. That's all. That, then it's all just there. Moving. Then it's all there. Just, just moving. <laughs> just moving yeah. is rotational, you know? Yeah. But, but take that. But let's, let's take that back. Let's take. Remember that, the, the video they showed of the Asian athletes on the stilts? Yeah, that was. Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes. That was awesome. That was. I wish they That's had races okay. like that. What you have, you have the stiff object. And what it happened, what you saw, the rotational. So the perpendicular. Is it, is it going into the ground? And then you saw rotation. That's how those two work together again. They didn't try to bounce that thing. You know, they, they weren't trying to bounce the stick as they ran. Perpendicular force. And then they moved <laughs> it back. And they was moving. That, we, we're in the same boat. Yeah. That's something I really... That is something I've become more uh, mindful of recently in this past year. I, I went to uh, Rafe Kelly's Return to the Source retreat this summer. And I met a guy there named Aaron Cantor, who talked about, he was working on something with his own running. And he was talking about using like using a slingshot to understand, to help him understand more of that elastic mechanism to put it in his running. And I I say that just because I know you've talked about riding a bike or being on roller skates or running on the stilts can help you to understand these lever principles from a way that it, it almost helps you to feel it in a way that I think you, to just read about it is a little more difficult, if that makes sense. And so that was something I wanted to get into today is doing all these other things to help. And it, plus too, once we get into this talk and it becomes complex, it's really helpful to ha- say, hey, if, you, if this is hard to understand, go do this thing. And then that will help you to, to get it more with like the leverage. Well, <laughs> well yeah, that's like, that's, like, that's like, you know, my one friend, Chris, and, 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 and she goes by option and ability on, on Instagram. But I posted something and she said, hey, if you don't understand this, go back to his previous post about the bicycle. And, and it, was, it, it was a scientific explanation of movement. And so in the scientific world, you know, moving linear is translation. And that's what the bike is about. You can pick the bike up and carry it. It is moving linearly, you know, or I can pedal it and create the rotation. Now, the rotation makes it move translation so i need to trans if i'm gonna move translation use rotation to move translation that's the science See, that's the science portion of it but really you can say hey man if you want to move linear you want to move horizontal if you want to move in that direction put rotation on it and it'll go much easier than if you try to do it and a lot of times you can see now in videos of sprinters who's moving with rotation 
Who's moving without rotation? 99% of the time, the person moving rotation is going to win that race. Yeah. Do you feel like um, if we were to take the reductionist, because in a sense, plyometrics, uh, as traditionally used, when we look at them compared to all the sport skills, the way you can move in sport, are a very reduced but very intensified form of movement. And I think about almost if we want to reduce rotation to a really simple component, we could just do like a single leg bound in any construct. I don't think you can really bound on a single leg. Be your sh- I mean, we all know what bad single leg bounding looks like. It looks like a single, a pogo hop on one leg, right? Like someone which, who can't. Which translation, which is translation without rotation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that ability, I feel like that. And I know in track and field camps, it's been said that like your single leg, how fast you can hop on one leg for 30 meters is like an elastic test. I mean, it yeah. makes sense to yeah. me. You can't do that unless you're really good at managing rotation, managing stretch shortening through your legs or your single right. leg. So. so, yeah. Well, I think, you know, part, part of it is this here too. Just like, you know, let's add, let's add in the other thing, glute lift, you know. And, and so let's talk about glutes real quick. And so you have this glute and you have this, it's a cool little muscle, you know, as my friend Jen found out, you know, it, it's quad angular, quad angular, cool word, you know. But when we talk about the glute, we don't talk about this quad angular properties, this function of why is it quad angular in the first place? Why does it have four sides? You know, like, and then we talk about where it's attached at. You go, huh. And when people use their glutes, what do they do? They try to push their hip forward. Okay. But now let's go back to the whole lever function. If you go that way, the whole problem is you're too close to the fulcrum. The closer you get to the fulcrum, the less effective the lever is. Now, let's go this way here. Let's go ahead and try to lift our foot to the rear, which means I'm going to rotate my foot up towards my head. Huh. Now, all of a sudden, the lever arm just got long because now the lever arm is what? From my hip down to my foot. Oh, the glute's fine now. Because where's the glute attached at? It's attached halfway down the leg in the first place. But when you try to reverse that, see what I'm saying? A lot of times it's just understanding how the lever works in the first place and where we want to be in relationship to, or let's take a push-up, for instance. Push-ups are hard because why? Now, at this one instance, I'm doing a push-up, which is a class two lever. Even, to, you know, even though the arms are class three, the body's now a class two lever, the whole body. So now the focal point is what? Too far away. From the load that makes a push-up hard when using a class two lever so what do you do you go to your knees i just move the focal point closer to the load makes it easier but what do we say that's for sissies no that's the body if you got to use that class two lever why you know go against how it's intended use is when you're talking about or when you're talking about the class the class three like how the body you're saying is predominantly class three, like speed multipliers. And it, it's funny because I think about, um, I've been to the zoo a few times recently and I enjoy watching like the cheetahs and gorillas walking around. And it does seem like, I mean, I have no idea if this is the case, but it almost looks like when we watch like like chimpanzees and apes, like their, their hip structure is a little different. They almost strike me as being a little bit more of maybe a strength lever oriented in nature compared to humans, like with our we're more upright and kind yeah. of the bo- really rely on the ball and socket joints, maybe more. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's interesting. But okay, to maximize a class three lever, though, what are some basic principles of and, and class three lever too? just quick definite? I mean, I always remember it as just like the humerus and the arm. It's it's a speed. It multiplies the speed because the insertion of the bicep is very close to the elbow. So you you have a, 
an insertion point that allows for a big whip to happen. So with these class three levers in the body, which I'm assuming like basically the arms and the legs, like from those ball and and socket joints, what are some concepts to be mindful of with using those as speed multipliers? Well, the, the, the biggest thing to be mindful of is that they're going to work best at their shortest. They're going to work best at their shortest. That's the biggest thing. You know, they don't work best at their, because that's not their thing. Their thing is to multiply speed. So that means I got to figure out how to put initial speed into it. If I do that, it's going to multiply the speed for me. And so that's why even with the bicep, it, 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 it's going to work best from this shortest point versus this longest point. Still going to multiply the speed, but once again, we try to do things because we're so force dominant, you know, in our thinking. And, and so that's why, like I said, when, when, when and think about Nordics, you know, and, and like I said, you're trying to strengthen something that's designed to multiply speed. Mm. But what are you doing, you know? And, and you go, why would you want to do that? And they say, well, you know, because I want it to decelerate. Well, once again, that's not what it's good at. It's good at speed. And takes up, you know, now I get if you're a bodybuilder, different story. So I need this muscle to be big and, and I need these things, you know, but if I'm running, I don't need that anymore. So that becomes a thing is, is so now what are you doing? You're taking this, this muscle and training it to do what? Be slow at lengthening. Mm. When I want that muscle to be fast at shortening. And how's it going to be fast at shortening? Get it to the shortest point, fire it. It's a different concept. Yeah. So basically, actually, we just talked about this in the recent podcast with Angus Bradley, but squatty running. So, I mean, basically working in a squatted position is lever practice in a sense. Oh yeah, very much so. This thing about it, gravity helps you create the perpendicular. That's all I really need to mess with that. That's gravity's job. All I gotta do is create the parallel. See what I'm saying? Half the job is done already. Just by, just by me mm-hmm. standing here, mm-hmm. gravity's creating the perpendicular for me. All I gotta do is the other part. The parallel. <laughs> yeah, it actually, yeah, as I think about it, squatty running really, like, to be decent at squatty running, you have, I mean, you have to be good at rotate, at least adept at rotation to move. You can't, if you weren't, you couldn't move. But you have to be better at it to do a squatty run well. As I think about it and the mechanism that goes into squatted or folded running, you have to be good at those rotational components or you're not going to go anywhere. Or maybe you'll end up just pushing yourself along. You know what I'm saying? Like, and now it makes me wonder to think about maybe having people do squatter running and then like single leg bounding cycle, like just to see if they can. It's almost like rotational assessment. <laughs> What's your well, yeah, uh, that's, rotational that's what, ability? That's the way looking at it, you know, rotational assessment and everything. Because even, you know, even if, say you're on a, say you're on a straight leg, you know, and, and usually what happens is this here. Say you're on a straight leg, you know, and you're this way here. Well, most likely what's going to happen to try and get you to rotate is you're going to use a class one lever at the foot because now the foot's going to raise you up. So that's where your rotation is coming from at that point in time. And then you get to the tip of the toe and the weight's funny. So now you go this way. Once again, the rotation's coming one way or another. That's just not a very effective way to rotate. Mm. And a lot of times you see people do what? They get to the toes and they go up. Even though people, and this, this, this is why I get back to that statement, you have to apply the force in the right direction. Okay, but now uh, this becomes a thing, even about opposite equal. How people want to put it? If you press with your toe against the earth, right, you have this ankle joint. It's now going to operate. And that's all I got now is this ankle joint to operate. 
So at this point in time, that lever action is very short, which is why some people get to the tip of their toe and they drop like a rock again. Hmm. The lever action is over. It didn't really apply anything to you moving in that direction. And it's over. You drop like a rock. Now, let's go the other way. Let's use the glute. If I use the glute and I rotate backwards, see the difference? Now I'm putting this long lever into the earth and the earth's not going to move. So now this long lever allows me to rotate forward. Different story again. Now you got two people saying the same thing, you know? Only one is a better direction than the other, even though both of them, the shins is pointing the same, see what I'm saying? The shin pointing that direction doesn't make it the direction because you got to worry about where's the joint going to come in and add to this situation. Darian, what would you say, so if the for the lower body, just simply squatting to be more folded up to force better working with the levers to to for one's rotational abilities, what would the counterpart be for that just in running for the upper body? I, I know you've had me back back in California. I remember you had me one time doing a running where I kept my thumb basically on my shoulder a little bit longer into the downswing of the arm, like the running action. Basically, it's almost like yeah. a folded running for the arms, just keeping your arms yeah, 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 folded yeah, yeah, at that yeah, top yeah. part longer. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they have to straighten yeah. at some point. That was really an interesting practice for me. I mean, would that be something similar for the upper body, or do you have any um, like upper body equivalents uh, or, well, or for different sports? That, too, brings in, that brings in another one of these points, the scapulas. <laughs> See, we can get through these points one way or another. It's kind of easy. <laughs> so the whole thing about it is this here. One thing is that gravity creates perpendicular, but the upper body can add on to that perpendicular. See, the stronger the anchor is, and that's all perpendicular is creating a strong anchor. The stronger the anchor is, the more I can get out of this. So when we had to do that, basically at that point in time, your scapula is trying to rotate downward through your body. When it does the downward through your body, now your legs are loaded more, which means you get more out of your legs. People think legs are, are strong, but legs need help. They need some input to get a better output. And that's that's like, normally I don't plug stuff, but I got to plug something. So I'm writing a book with my friend Jen. And the biggest thing she's gotten from this is input is the output. And that's what we talk about all the time is, you know, people ask me about force application and you go, the original force is gravity. After that point in time, where is it coming from? It's coming from you, you know, but the better the input, which is going to be the rotational aspect of it, the stronger I get with this rotational aspect, the more I can load my legs means the more my legs will rotate, faster will rotate. So all of a sudden, everything they say is true. But it's easier to prove with rotational components than with linear components. That's the whole point. But people want to argue. No, it's the it's issue like we've got to get the same thing. But one of these is way easier than the other. As you pointed out, the linear way is the hardest way to go. If you want to go that way, it's going, but it's so hard. Rotation, everything we just said is true. And it's so much easier. So that's the upper body's coming in to help increase the downward pressure. And the downward pressure gives me what? A better anchor again. The better the anchor, the easier the rotation is going to happen. Got it. So with the upper body, it's uh, just kind of saying this back to you from my perspective. So that perpendicular isoing effect, the scapula's job is to assist in that, like the quick downward, like if I was doing pogos, <laughs> um, yeah. you just, just feeling like the scapula, like working 
to to help anchor or or i mean not the right. anchor truly and i mean you do anchor and anything but anyways i hope you know what i'm saying like um the, yeah. someone could feel that if i'm doing if they're doing pogos feel what are my scapulas doing to help this uh, right perspective right you know even on guys that jump well vertically the scaps are really working to, to load them and rotate and keep them moving forward when we see that big arm swing the big flap that scaps is coming in really pushing the body down and because legs need help gravity isn't enough anymore mm. they need help and so once again the faster I can load this, the faster I can get out of here. And that's what scaps do. They can help you load fast. They can help you load slow. But they can help load the legs, which gives you a better rotational component, increase the output. Got it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of um, just even jumping vertical jumps. I I just posted a Instagram video of the guy who's got the world record box jump. And his yeah. this, it's, it's, you can't ignore, I mean, obviously, an, an individual with incredible horsepower. But you can't ignore the rotational vectors of his arms swinging down that kind of like merges into his knees coming forward a little bit to give him that uh, help provide him that upward push. And like it's hard to ignore these rotational vectors or let alone just any jumper, any any elite jumper. Any jumper. And so, so, yeah. And you could you could like I said, if, if, if I diagram that, I could show you the rotation coming down and the rotation coming back up, you know. And the rotation coming back up is from the glutes. But I, it's easy. It, it, you, you know, like I said, one of the things I do now is I will draw a circle around the person. And we're going to draw all the rotation components happening. And then you see like, oh, got it, you know, becomes a thing. But it's one of those things where if you can see the rotation, you can coach rotation. Basically, at that point in time, you're just coaching levers. It's just, it's just you're just coaching levers. Yeah. And so outside of the scapulas and their contribution to that downward anchoring is there any class three concepts in the arm outside of that that you feel like are valuable to, I know we've worked on folding up a lot, like folding up in front, setting that up. I mean, is there anything, anything you want to say on that, that concept, like folding the arms up in front or uh, tighter versus them ending up farther away? Does that even fit in with the class three lever stuff really? Yeah, in, in terms it of this fit conversation? in because even, but you, but you got to go back to, you know, like I said, the things they say, a shorter lever moves faster. And at some point in time, we want a short lever to move fast. That's why my arms are bent, you know. But at some point in time, my arms are long, which means I get a power component to it. So that's what people forget about levers. And the amazing part about the body, it can switch from a power component to a speed component just like that. Just by simply bending the elbow, you went to a speed component. Extending the elbow, you went to a power component, you know. So, so when the arm is at this, this point where it's longest, guess what? The scapula now is at a power component. And so the scapula can actually dig in to help it. you swing that arm forward. Actually, going to help you anchor better. So at this, so at the same thing, it's it's the, and that's what we forget about. That's why that same thing about you know apply the force in the right direction. Well, have you accounted for what the joints are doing? And that's where that whole that's where the whole theory goes off a little bit. If you haven't accounted for what the joints are doing, that theory doesn't work very well. I wanted to take a quick break from the show to tell you a little bit about our sponsor, SimplyFaster.com. SimplyFaster.com is a fantastic coaching resource, not only on the level of their blog and all the information they put out, but also on the level of their online store. With the click of a button, you can see and purchase the technology that is utilized by so many of the world's great coaches. In SimplyFaster.com's online store, you can have access to training technology such as blood flow restriction training, timing systems, including the free lap timing system, bar speed tracking devices, a variety of resistance training machines, such as the K-Box, 
and also Kaiser training units, which Kaiser training units being strongly recommended by sprint coach Randy Huntington, for example. You'll also get access to motorized sprint training units such as the 1080 Sprint, force plates, and much more. You can check that all out by heading to simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. Let's get back to the show. Got it. So athletes who can't, like if they're sprinting, and I, and most of the athletes who do this, I, I maybe all, on some level, it's been like coached into them. Like someone said, keep your arms at 90 degrees or some something like that. <laughs> but athletes, so an athlete who's not good at um, extending that arm down and, and it's straightening towards the bottom of the sprint, the sprint side stride, inherently they're likely not anchoring in their scapula very well and, and wiring into that mainframe, into the vertical axis for power then. They're just probably riding around it or something. Or I'd imagine in that case too, they might their shoulder might be running a different circle direction, which we can get into that. Uh, right, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but, but even that, there's a cool video of a athlete in a wheelchair and she's lifting, I think she's a CrossFit athlete, but she's lifting the weight, you know, and she's pressing up overhead. And the first time she pressed up overhead, she failed, you know, and, 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 and the second time she tried it, she succeeded. But if you look at the whole situation, her legs are moving and you go, how the paralyzed athlete legs move like that? You know, you go, wait, wait. And like I said, there's so many things that are going on. We miss all the time, but all of a sudden, you know, this, this downward, once again, because what's going on? The scapula's got to go down for you to go up. But this downward compression is now making it down to the legs. And all of a sudden, the legs anchor. And guess what? The weight goes up. Hmm. And she's in a wheelchair. Yeah. But you wouldn't think the legs were contributing to this. But it is. It's an, it was an amazing thing. But, and, 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 and I'm watching the film like, that's kind of cool shit right there. But who's going to catch that? You know, because they're watching just the arms. And you know, you're like, so you got to back up to see the whole picture as it unfolds and everything. And, and, and that becomes a thing. And so with leverage, you got to back up to see the whole picture because one rotational component is affecting another rotational component. It's not just this one rotation at the scalp, at the shoulder. It's this rotational component is affecting how the legs are going to rotate themselves. Yeah, that's really cool. It's so cool to think of how connected or the interconnectivity of the body. And so we're not very far down my question list, but that's totally fine. I, I mean, it's all kind of the same thing. <laughs> But the idea, uh, you had an Instagram post on this, the idea of wheels or something probably related to this, but wheels versus squares. And a lot of times we coach, especially sprinting, that the wheel ends up uh, becoming more of a square wheel. I think you've talked about this on the podcast before, but could you reiterate like the idea of um, sprinting, running, or any other skill you like and wheels versus squares? Well, the whole thing about is this here, you know, I want to go fast, right? And so I have, I have these two different demands on me. And one demand is I got to get started. So if I'm going to start, I want a small wheel. I don't want a big wheel. I want a small wheel. I want to spin the small wheel. But as I get going, I, I, the small wheel doesn't work anymore. So I got to go to a bigger wheel. So that's, that, the, the, the fastest guys go from, they get into, they, they go from small wheel to big wheel to bigger wheel to bigger wheel. If you start off with a bigger wheel, guess what? Acceleration is not going to be good. Your top end will be good, but your acceleration won't be good. If you start off with a small wheel but can't get to a bigger wheel, your acceleration will be good, but your top, see how, see how it starts to work out? It's just a matter of, but people don't understand this, this things of switching from one small wheel to a bigger wheel, you know? And all of a sudden, they switch into what we say, the squares, where they kind of caught between a wheel, 
you know, rotation linear. And that's what a square is. You copy between rotation. You partly start to rotate and then you go linear. You partly start to rotate, then you go linear versus the wheels. You stay rotating the whole way. When I was in college, there was a drill we would do, a sprinting drill uh, as part of the warm up, And it was just gear changes. And it was like run 30 meters or 50 meters easy, run like 30 or 50 meters medium, 30 or 50 fast. And coach said it was really important to feel yourself shifting. Like feel the she the the speed shift, and at the time I never had any idea why. <laughs> and and looking back, I I realized well, it, it really you should have a strategy. You should be able to have a strategy change. Like you shouldn't necessarily have the same strategy for going slow, medium, and fast. Like and, and I think that would fit with what you're saying. Like you need to, the wheel needs to be able to get bigger. Like you shouldn't still be stuck on that small wheel. You should have right, some different right. options. Right, and that's what. You know, when people talk about high knees, what high knees really represent is a bigger wheel. But if you take high knees and make it a square wheel, it's not good. See, that, yeah, that's what people, yeah, yeah. that's 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 where it goes, you know. So once again, it's nothing wrong with high knees. You got to understand, it represents a bigger wheel, you know. But the wheel is square, not round. That becomes a problem now. Yeah, that's such a good illustration because I think... Uh, you know, despite all the conversations we've had, there's certainly a lot of coaches and individuals, I'm sure, who are not going to give up high knees. Like, I'm still going to coach. It. It's still... Yeah. And, and when people see... I think when people... When something is coached in athletics or movement, there's always a reason it was there. Like, it's not like, hey, I'm going to say, you know, to do something like, you know, I'm not going to tell you to sprint and be like intentionally throwing your arms out to the like doing punches out to the side or something you know like something that's completely out there uh right there's always something that it's coming from and yeah like you said it's coming from the perspective well i want this to be a bigger wheel but right. at the i think the issue is is that oftentimes when it's coached if you say lift your knees you get a bigger wheel but you also get a big square wheel <laughs> yeah you get a big square wheel <laughs> and and that's even like that concept you know of, of whip from the hip it's a funny concept. It's a very good concept. But who's going to be better at that? The short hamstring's going to be better at whipping that thing from the hip than, than me trying to pull back, you know what I'm saying? Me trying to pull back as a whip from the hip. That's a, the hamstring, like, it's not, in, it's, not a, it's not in a position to whip anymore. Mm -hmm. So once again, good concept, poor execution of it. When it comes to... So getting that wheel sprint or spinning, I was about to say sprinting because I'm like, it's funny how all the shows that, that have been done on this podcast, there are so many about sprinting and that's awesome. But it's like, oh, I want to talk about other things too, but sprinting is easy to talk about. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so when it comes to a good wheel, like what, what helps athletes or what are some concepts of a good large wheel? That's spinning at top end speed, or or any, I guess any sport that involves. Well, let's, a big let's wheel, take but... it this way. Let's take it. Let's take it this way. I did a video on Kawhi Leonard driving past somebody. If you're going to drive past somebody, you need a big wheel, because I'm, I'm trying to get to the basket, and and the big wheel will get me there better than the smaller wheel. But what do you see? That what do you see? You see his shin drops to what, running parallel with the ground, because now you got to figure the glute to the foot is is a great distance. And this lever arm now is going to work in my favor to rotate me forward past this guy. That's a big wheel. So it's a different type of sprinting because I'm going to start with a big wheel because I want to roll past this guy as easy as possible and still be able to jump. 
But when it's time to jump, what does he revert back to? He goes back to a smaller wheel. See, see how I can work that way? I'm going to start, if I'm a basketball player, I'm going to start with a big wheel to go by you and go to a smaller wheel to jump. Amazing. Yeah, that's where I really enjoy um, contrast sprints where there's a contrasting effect, like a big, like big wheel, small wheel, big wheel. Like you could say low knee right. running, high knee running, low knee running, high knee running, or low medium or, or whatever. Like yeah. it, as long as you, there's a contrast and you're feeling it and you understand how the nature of the wheel changed as you went from one to the other, how did it yeah, feel? Right, 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 right. Well, that's even like, if you look at Bob Beeman, Carl Lewis, Mike Powell, when they long jump, they penultimate were big wheels. They went, they went to big wheels to jump, you know? It's easy to control a big wheel as opposed to a small wheel when you're trying to navigate, lowering your hips, raising your hips, and all this other kind of stuff. The big wheel is easy to control at that point in time versus the small wheel is spinning too fast, and before you know it, you're at the board, you know? So even, even that there, these guys got a certain wheel coming down the runway, and they switched to a bigger wheel when it was time to jump. Yeah. I, oh man. I mean, that's, to me, that's, I mean, that's just the fun part of it too. Like that's why long jump is fun. Like skills are fun. I mean, sprinting's fun too, but it's like, I feel like sprinting can be more fun when you kind of mix things up and, and make people feel the differences and things yeah. like that, yeah. as at least as part of the skill development component of it. All right. So speaking of- But one, one more thing. Oh, go, oh, go and then now flip it, to, now flip it to the high jumper. What do they start with? They start with big wheels. Yes. Yeah, and then but you can't small. jump with a big wheel. So where do they yeah. go? They, same thing with this. Like I said, they do the same thing as a basketball player. I'm going to start with a big wheel. I'm going to go to a smaller wheel to jump. Yeah. I love that too. Because I remember in my high jumping days, I remember thinking, man, I'm getting all these high knee, you know, cues and, and everything's high <laughs> knee. And then I was thinking, wait, I don't think I do that when I jump. I was like, I don't think I can do that when I write in the last few steps to jump. And then yeah. it's something that just, you feel so intuitively though, before anyone ever coaches you. I remember in basketball, like if I was going to go up and try to touch as high as I could on the rim or backboard or whatever, you just feel your body doing it for you. It's just making smaller circles, smaller wheels to get ready to take off. It's, right. just, it's, so, intu it's so intuitive. Right. And what, what is a high jumper? They're not very fast accelerators, but they don't need to be. No. Yeah. <laughs> they, need to, they need to be fast to take off. See, see how they, that's what people don't get. So I got this big wheel because I don't need to be a fast accelerator, but I need to get going. Yeah, one of my one of my favorite drills I had for club track, and I was actually really impressed that like twelve year olds could do this drill. But it was fun. Is we put mini hurdles out on the first part of the approach, and I, I don't want to get for people listening. I'm trying not to get too specific into little track minutia, but I, I think this is interesting to watch and it's fun for the kids. But I put mini hurdles out and say bound over these mini hurdles, and then I would like fifteen feet from the takeoff, there wouldn't be any, and they just run and jump. And some kids were jumping so much higher than their normal jumps doing that kind of strategy, even though it was just like kind of a fun thing. Like, hey, I want you to bound right. and over these and then just go to a few steps. And, and man, some kids were just exploding off the ground. It was amazing. And right. that was just right. a real fun thing, way to play with that kind of like yeah. contrast. Well, and, and, but at the same time, that's a great assessment because we can see who has wheels and who doesn't have wheels. See, that's, that's a lot that of, you know, even like, I, I watch some of the elite athletes on, on Instagram and they're doing double leg hops. It's very fast to tell some have great wheels when they're doing that double leg hop. And then they go to run, they don't have wheels anymore. So, so, some, so, so once again, you know how to do this, but your training is jacking you up because your training takes you out of your wheels. That's what's amazing that, that they don't realize that, that when you, and that's a great assessment, like, okay, 
So, so I got, I see you, 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 single leg hop, you have wheels, double leg hops, you have wheels going upstairs, you have wheels coming downstairs, you have wheels. And then you go to run, you don't have the wheels anymore. So where do we lose hmm. the translation of the wheels at? Hmm. All right. So I've been meaning to ask you this because we talked, we've kind of talked around it a little bit, but how do we develop? I mean, there's a squatty running, obviously, like that's a, a very rotationally biased way to move and run, but what are some primers or what would some things you would be looking for in just sprinting and saying, yes, this is a good big wheel. Like this, things are happening well here. Like this is the, you're, you're spinning a big wheel and it's, it's not slowing itself down and, and it's, it's working uh, very well. <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, like you said, that comes back to, to, to kind of levers and stuff like that. For instance, if you see somebody start to rotate and then, then they go to the square, a lever came into play that you didn't want. And that's like, you have this class three lever working that is rotating you forward. Then all of a sudden you decide to push through the toe. Well, you just, you just brought in a class one level, which changed the whole rotation aspect of it. See what I'm saying? That, that's, that's really the big thing to look for is, am I bringing in a lever I do not want at this point in time? Mm. Am I bringing in a lever I do want at this point in time? That, that's the easy way to look at it. Is what levers do I want at this point in time to accomplish this task? And that's what we're good at. Like I said, the body's good at, you know, where, where like if you're working on something, you have to go switch out to another wrench. You know, like I said, if you're going to break off a, a, a nut, you can get a long lever arm. And when it loosens up, what do you do? You go ride a shorter wrench to work on it. The body, we don't have to go switch out. We can just change. So, all right, here's, this might be a little controversial. <laughs> but I, 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 it's funny because I, I used to do these drills. <laughs> I don't do them anymore. Probably about the time I met you. I don't know exactly, but like the little, <laughs> uh, like the little, the little dribble drills, like the little wheel, like, you know, where you're yeah, just doing like yeah, a mini yeah. sprint, well, spin, like in a wheel, it's going like, what, what do you well, think about those? Well, well, no, that's the funny thing. Cause I posted about that. You know, I posted about rotation and I said, these drills do not help you with rotation. These drills do not help you with rotation. And somebody said dribbles do. And I said, no, nah, go check it out. Sure enough. You watch somebody dribble. It's all linear. Why is that? Well, it's it's design of the of the drill. It, it you know, like I said, just like if you do a a, a skip, an a skip is a linear drill because yeah, it's too tall. It's, usually, would that be why? Like it's too high of a. Well, everything's mass. perpendicular. There's no because the levers are being used for for what am I using at that? If I'm doing an a skip, what am I using more than anything else? I'm using the ankle. Yeah. So rotation is happening at the ankle, not the body itself rotating forward. I, I get it. Sorry to interrupt. So, I figured it out. Like it's because you. It's like any sprint drill. It, the foot comes out right under the hip, not like slightly in front. And then the shin becoming that lever where there's a tumbling action of the shin. Right. And there you go. Yeah. The tumbling action is what? A pitch action. See what I'm saying? You got your own word in there. The tumbling action is the pitch action. So dribbling doesn't have a tumbling action or a pitch action or a shangle change. Got it. So it's it's actually closer, like the, the sprint dribbles, when we actually look at what's happening with the ankle, the shin and the ground is closer to a pogo than it is. Sprinting, you would say. Boom, boom, there you go. Got it. Just like all, all kind of marching oriented sprint drills. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw that in there. So, there I mean, it'd be interesting. I, I want to go watch there. videos of it now just to kind of see. I'm kind of yeah. curious, you know, but it, it's, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. But, but somebody said that dribble, I said, you sure? And they said, let me go check, but I never heard back from him. But it's like, go check, you know, because the shit ain't going to change isn't there. So that means rotation isn't there. It's just kind of simple. And there's rotation there, but the rotation at the ankle, see what I'm saying? The rotation is taking place at the ankle. Different story again. Hmm. Got it. Yeah, no, I'm interested to check some yeah. videos out that's, and look at it's, that. It's, and that's the difference between like when people understand class, and one of the questions about class one, class two stuff. That's one of the questions. We're going to get through all these, man, one way or another. 
you know? <laughs> and, and so a class one, the rotation's at the ankle. Class two, the rotation's at the ball of the foot. See how, that, see, how, see, how the, see how the wheel just started when you switch to a class two? You just started rotating the whole body. And that's, that's the difference. A class one, rotation's only at the ankle. Class two, the whole body starts to rotate. Class three, the whole body rotates. See what I'm saying? If you work the hamstring, now I have nothing. And think about this. I have this whole body rotating at a fast rate. Then I use my hamstring to rotate this free leg, which means this thing is now rotating fast. When we talk about negative speed, that's where it's coming from. So I have these two rotational components going, bow, my collision just came up, which is why, you know, same thing we're talking with Jen. You know, when I told her, I said, think about a gymnast. They rotate into the ground and they have very good landings. Why? Because rotational speed is so much higher. If you want to stop, you got to be going fast in the first place. So if I rotate into the ground faster, that gives me a better reflex out of it. Higher input, higher output. Speed multiplies, kind of simple. Hmm. If I go into the ground slower, low input, low output. Just that simple. Yeah. What do you think about, I'm just like kind of not kicking myself. Like I'm, <laughs> speed is easy to translate this is like the it's like the early one of the, e- the easy translators i mean other we could talk about other sports skills too but like yeah. straight leg bounce uh, that's a i mean there's obviously a lot of rotation there but you feel like in some ways they end up being more net like the sprint drill or dribble in the sense of if you do a straight leg bound and the shin isn't doing much you know what i'm saying like well I'm well once again on that. Think, think about that straight leg march you know the leg is rotating back towards you Right, it's 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 swinging back towards you, so it's rotating back towards you until what? Until the foot hits the ground. Then what happens? It becomes perpendicular. Then all of a sudden, instead of the leg rotating, the ankle becomes the focal point. So you rotate at the ankle now. So see how you just—it's not even said. If Levis makes this assessment so easy, you got this leg swing, no big deal until it hits the ground. When it hits the ground, you stop, and then all of a sudden, you do a toe raise up out of there. And then when you get off the ground, what do you do? You swing the leg forward again. Yeah, that's such an interesting one to me. One of the first things I'd done, and this was before I met you, I think this kind of primed my, my mind for, for your ideas. And because I was like, I, w- I was doing straight leg bounds and flex leg bounds. And the like bounding with your legs flexed, I don't know, 20 degrees or something. And yeah. those flex leg bounds just felt so much faster and better and more powerful. And the glutes were working. And I was like, wow, this is like, this feels way faster. And I was yeah. like, well, I'll just keep doing both of them. You know, like it was just, but it was just right, like right, you start right, to right, notice right, those right. things. And, and so it's interesting to put it under that frame of, well, because you know, in doing, if you go back and you do the straight leg bound again, and you start to actually feel for what's happening to the rotation and the ankle at the, like at the bottom of this, like you're like, well, the push there's not really the push in this. Like, it's kind of like this, right. it feels more like a pogo. And as an elastic athlete who like does, I'm good at pogos and things like that. Right. It feels pretty natural to do that. <laughs> but it never, I never felt like those made me faster. It was, um, yeah, it was just an interesting drill. I mean, I think there's probably ways you could tweak it out for some uses and things. But right. when it comes to that, that rotation after the fact of the ground, yeah, I can definitely see that diminishing pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. And that's what a lot of people end up doing is they end up switching to class one levers and we know a class one lever is super super strong no doubt about it but it's good at lifting you but not really moving you mm. and, and that's why as soon as you don't the class one lever you drop back down to the earth like 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 anything else you know it's not it's good at lifting you but not really good at moving you you know and we know what 
People can do what? Thousand pounds, toe raises, calf raises? Easily. That's what it does. It's set up for that. You know, it controls it up and down. It's set up for that. But that doesn't move you forward very well. Yeah. Got it. So can you just reiterate, I know you've spoken on this before, but could you give, um, like, I know scissors is class two. Like, what what, uh, what in everyday use is a class one to help people um, think about that class one? Well, like I said, the biggest thing is the class one is not going to rotate the whole body forward. It's just it's like, gonna, a, it's just, it's a perpendicular, a more perpendicular oriented it, lever. It's a more perpendicular motion. And what's happening, you got to think how it's opening up. So technically, you're trying to pull the feet back towards you, but but once the ground's not going to move, so you move up, and that's that's the rotation aspect at the ankle. Is, is you're moving the ankle come into alignment with it. the ankle's going to come into alignment with everything else. Got it, got it. So uh, that's easy way to think about a class once it's a seesaw. Oh, gotcha. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. Easy, easy way to think about it is that there, you know. So, but, but think of, and, and so like I said, that's why the head is a class one. It's a seesaw. Tilt back and forth, side to side, class one, easy to work about it, you know, and, and, or, you know, like I said, the biggest thing is with class one is what? The, the input and output are split on each side of the focal. Got you know, it. I got the elephant on one side, I got me on the other side. <laughs> kind of simple. <laughs> gotcha. You know, a class two, all of a sudden, guess what? Me and the elephant are going to be on the same side of the focal. Gotcha. You know, yeah. the elephant, the elephant's in the middle, <laughs> you know, and now, now I'm basically trying to lift the elephant up. Class three, me and the elephant's going to flip. So that, that, that becomes, it, 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 it's just, it's just where those things, where the input and output's going to go relative to the fulcrum. That, yeah. That's all it is. Gotcha. I you like, know? I like, it helps me to think of it as a, a vertical lever. Cause that, I mean, again, that's the weight room. That's the gym that's squatting in, in many ways. I think there's, there's always going to be shins and, you know, femurs that are, have rotational value and components to them. Yeah. I was, you know, so I think that's not, it's an, I don't think we should say like, well, everything we do in the weight room is just class one. So forget it. Like, cause I think there's just, there's a lot more there. There's a lot more ways you can draw that out. I think a lot of it, as I think about it, though, it's interesting to think about it in the ISO category, though. If I'm in the weight room, if that ISO is what holds the wrench in place, how important, how important is that, that element of what we're doing versus, and just thinking about, yeah, when we're going to be fast, we're going to use rotation, we're going to use class three, and right. maybe, maybe that would help us give more appreciation for some of those positions of the weight room that could be an ISO. So, so yeah, well, I, I mean, even, okay, let's, let's go with overhead snatch. It's still, a, it's still a class three component, you know? And what am I trying to do? I'm trying to really multiply the speed factor of it. You know, I'm still, I'm still trying to multiply, because what I got to do, I got to get this, this thing has to move fast. If it doesn't move fast, I can't get it, I can't get underneath it fast enough. I can't get it up high enough to get underneath it fast enough. So I'm still working with a speed multiplier. And in order for that to work, I need some rotation. I need some good rotation now. Mm-hmm. So, so, so that becomes a thing. And even now, if it what would and this becomes a funny thing about it. So let's do it this way here. Say somebody was doing overhead snatch, and as part of that, we were able to just spin the weights as fast as possible. When they got to the top of the overhead snatch, what's gonna happen? They're gonna fall down because the rotation of the wheels is gonna keep them moving. They can't stop the rotation. saying they can't stop the rotation. And that's what people understand about joints at end range. Joints and end range allow rotation to stop. That's what people miss out. That's the best part people miss out about joints and things like that. It's, it's that joints provide an end range for the rotation to stop. But like I said, 
if you spin that weight as you come to the top, there's no end range. So when you try to stop, it just keeps on moving to the next thing. The next thing you know, you fall backwards. So that becomes just a quick understanding about what's so cool about this whole process is, is the joints provide the automatic end range or the stop point. But then what do we do? We say, hey, let's increase my range. Ah, you just messed away. You just took away your stop point. Hmm. So, yeah. But that becomes, but like I said, it, it, it's, it's a lot of times like a fingernail clipper, you know, sometimes there's combination levers working too. And that's the other part about it. You know, there's combination. A fingernail clipper is a combination of two levers. You know, and I, so I got these two levers working at the same time. Even with running, I can get a class three and a class one or a class three and a class two to work at the same time. I can get a class three, class two, and a class one to work at the same time if I pull it off right. That's when you, that's when you really work it. When you, if you can pull off three levels at one time, boom, you're gone. <laughs> that's interesting because, I mean, it sounds like, I guess maybe to think of it then, where is the role of the class one in something like, like sprinting that's fast and, and doesn't really have, like you don't want to be stopping things to be stopping you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there is little decelatory points like with the friction in the foot in the ground or things like that. But right. how would you use how would you be using optimally using these levers alongside of each other, like a one and a two and a three in sprinting? Well, I mean, that becomes a thing, you know, like people work on deceleration stuff, but once again, it's already built in. So, so say I'm trying to stop, you know, I put my foot down, let the class one decelerate you. Why? Because it can handle that high stress load like that. It can handle it. It already handled it in the gym at a thousand pounds. You came up, it came down and it, it can handle it. But once it's done, I want the end range to happen. When the end range gets an end range, then it's going to pull me into a class two. If I increase my end range of the class one, it's going to delay me getting to the class two. Now I got to work harder. See what I'm saying? Now, now I got to work a little bit harder to make this stop work because I messed up my natural end range. And now the rotation continues past the point I want to continue at. Gotcha. So the, the class ones are coming in, but they're just their purpose is very brief. And then pass it on to the, the class. Pass it on to the, pass it on to the, and that's what we're good at. That's what joints do. When the stress becomes too much for that joint, it passes on to another joint. It's one of the safest mechanisms we have, we ever have, you know? I mean, that's why ankle pronation is cool. You know, a lot of people don't like it, pretty want to get rid of it, but ankle pronation saves the body because think about this here. As I'm coming down, if, if I didn't have ankle pronation, the knee would take that. And I don't want the knee to take that. Mm-hmm. But the ankle's going to take it. And when the ankle's done taking it, guess what? It, uh, it passes on to the knee and passes it to the hip, so forth and so forth. Take out the ankle pronation, the knee's taking that. The knee doesn't want to take it like that. So, so, so we also have these natural protection, deceleration mechanisms built into this whole lever system, and we want to mess with them. Yeah, yeah, that idea of passing the force from one joy to another has been something that I've learned from you that I've been thinking about for a while. And yeah, it definitely makes sense. Yeah, with the pronation, if you don't, it's going to show up somewhere else. I did have one um, one last question that maybe it's a little bit, it's a little different, but I'm sure it still fits with, fits with the rotation a little bit. I think it fits with the class one lever a little bit, but roller skating or rollerblading. I know you you yeah. post like rollerbladers or inline skaters or speed skaters relatively often. And I think of it from the sense of, you know, I, I gave that example of, like using a different sport movement, like you're using b- riding a bicycle or something else to right, understand right, running right, right. way. But I think it's interesting to think about skating. I, I, my wife got me some rollerblades for my birthday in September and I've been, I was out skating a lot and I was like, wow, you know what? This, this really feels uniquely and interestingly athletic in many ways. And, and it's interesting to think about how this might relate to running. 
And then I think of all the things that kids should just be doing that they maybe don't do anymore as much that probably right. help their athleticism that they couldn't get from other exercises. So anyway, so your take on inline skating, class one levers, how it relates to locomotion. Uh, what do you think? Well, okay. Well, you, you, you can, the, this, the, the skate itself becomes a different class one. And so I got two class ones and I got to get to, I still got to get to a class two in there, but all of a sudden the wheels themselves are the focal point. So the lateral movement makes it the class one. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to move lateral until what? The wheel stops spinning. I got to get the wheels to stop spinning so I can do what? Get to my class two to get to my class three to actually push forward. And it happens so fast. It's crazy. You know? So different class one comes into play once I'm rollerblading. It's not the ankle that becomes the class one. It's actually the skate now. And the lateral side to side becomes the class one. But I still need my class two. And I still need my class three. But I'm going to use this, this class one to get to a perpendicular action. Now, see what I'm saying? I'm going to use the class one to slide over perpendicular. Now my class two can work. Now my class three can work. Got it. And yeah, I like how you said it. It happens really fast. And it is. Yeah, it's interesting because, yeah, you're locked in a boot. So it, it, it is this lateral motion. But that's probably not too different in some senses. Like you've posted high jumpers taking off. Or I'm sure this happens in basketball and things like that, too. But like they'll plant their foot. And that ankle just like gets, it looks like it's getting mashed over, although I'm right, a right, lot of right, it right. Foot moving through the shoe too, but that's like a class one, right? But it's in, later, in the lateral plane. That's where it gets kind of that's crazy. Cla- that's a class one. Yeah. And I, and that class one, and, and this is the thing about it at that point in time, if you don't have a, and, and so this is what we talk about. If you don't have a lot of ankle pronation, you're not gonna be a very good high jump. Just what it is. See what I'm saying? Because I, I need this rotation to keep going a little bit longer rather than abruptly come to a halt. Yeah. Would you say that's true for all single leg jumps or, or probably a lot little of, bit yeah, high yeah, jump even, because it's even, rotational? Even real, good, even real good basketball jumpers, going off of two legs, we see a lot of good ankle pronation happening on, on one of those legs. It, it's just what it is. Yeah. To be good at running jumps, you need to be able to pronate, basically. Like, yeah. To, keep to be good at running, you, need, you, need, you, need, you still need it because it, it, it allows, because it, like I said, how do, I want rotation to keep going and I want rotation to stop. So this way here, you know, who is controlling the, the stopping of the rotation? Who is controlling the allowing of the rotation? Yeah. When it comes to like sprinting, could you see roller skating or rollerblading as a viable intervention if athletes are too linear in the start? Like they've just been coached pure linear, just very, you know, there's, there's not a lot of rotation in that. Uh, or at least use of the lateral plane, use of triplane, or like yeah. the way you see the Jamaicans start, a lot of the football combine guys start and stuff like that. Right. Would you? Do you think you could use roller skating to help get a little bit of that back? Is there elements in that? Do you think could? Fit oh yeah. With, yeah. Sprint acceleration. I mean, I mean, the the inline skates. Even if you look at uh, um, ice skaters, you know how they set up and everything like that. You know, but but at the point in time, what do you see those guys use too? They use the upper body to help them out, and so that's that's once again. If they understand how to incorporate the upper body into that, it's going to be very effective. And that's the be- that's that's probably the best best takeaway from that is, at that point in time, understand how the upper body is going to help you to get out of this situation you're in. Yeah, yeah, we kind of just disconnect that in all front to back too. So it's it's hard for yes. it to help you. I'm sure that gives you the feeling of how the upper body helps you too, and how you can use that in multiple planes. Right, right, because the upper body's been discounted in sprinting. All they say is the arms is counter-rotation. No, I need something to help me load these levers to keep me rotating. So, but, but, but they have just disconnected. And so that's why people do what? 
They want me to get the legs stronger and push harder, push harder, push harder. But the only reason you're pushing harder because there was no input in the first place. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting, I guess you could say, observation and reductionism when we just make everything about that, <laughs> that very linear motion and thinking about that. But man, yeah. you've given a lot of good examples that have helped me to really understand that perspective to a higher degree. And it's been a really good talk, Adarian. It's been too long since we chatted. Uh, it was Yay. great having you on the show. <laughs> yeah, and rewire, you didn't, you know, you was in and out so fast, we didn't get a chance to really sit down and talk and everything. So, so yeah, it's been too long, man, but it's good. Good talking again. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. I appreciate you all being here with us. We'll see you guys next week with another great guest.